Pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. It's Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette. And Chachi's co-host, Beatles instructor at Suffolk University, David Galan. Uh, yes, hello and welcome to Get Back to the Beatles on the Boston Podcast Network, originating out of Westwood, Massachusetts, broadcasting throughout the world. I'm here with Beatles professor David Gallant from Suffolk University, as the announcer said. We're very, very excited today with our special guest. He's been a friend of our program, both our podcast and my Breakfast with the Beatles radio show, which has been on the air close to 30 years in Boston and New England. And the professor, first I'll start by saying there are many Beatle books that come out every year, not many from the inner circle that's been gone for a while. And I got a book at the end of last year that really just kept me engrossed from start to finish, a story that's mysterious for many, many years, the Mal Evans story from the loss of his ashes in the post, the loss of, of a suitcase filled with diary information, photos, and recently rediscovered. And uh, Beatles Professor Gallant, I know you started reading the book. It's fantastic. Do you agree? I agree, Chachi. And when you say that uh, there are a lot of Beatle books that come out every year, I think probably a quarter to a half of them are written by our guest today. <laughs> that to say to say the word prolific is is understating it completely. And yes, a book about a member of the Beatles' inner circle in ways patched together from that perspective puts a very unique spin on many, shall we say, in Beatles circles, well-worn tales, but with a twist because of the of the perspective that we're getting here. And I think our guest has done an, an incredible job and a few things I'll ask him about of uh, the particular approach in, in writing this, in this book, because you're working from very different sources, as you're saying, Chachi, and some things that Mal Evans had written himself and other sort of snippets and ephemera. It's really an interesting approach. It so is. people who think they know some of the Beatle timelines and some of the events, you're going to get an interesting twist here. I love the book. I read it during the holidays at Christmas, and it's fantastic. We speak about the professor of English and popular music at Monmouth University in New Jersey, friend Ken Womack. Hello, Mr. Womack. How are you? So good to be here with you guys. It's great to be here and speaking to you again. You were just on the radio show, and we appreciate you coming back for our podcast. You just got back from Beetlefest in New York City at the TWA Hotel, 60th anniversary. Wish we could have been there, but we had a Beatles event in Boston on that on Sunday. And so tell me, you were there with Mal Evans' children, who are now not children any longer, and you were there with uh, Mal's daughter and son, of which they helped and worked with you on this book. How are they doing? How was the audience response? Were people excited to, to read your book? What was it like there? It was tremendous. In this case, unfortunately, at the last moment, Gary had to cancel Gary Evans. Oh. He's getting, a, I believe, a retinal transplant in the coming days, and he wanted to be around for that very opportune surgery. But his sister, Julie, was there, and she had a ball, and people loved meeting her. She's really enjoying this experience. It's giving her another way of thinking about, you know, what for most of her life has really just been a tragedy. Yes, that is true. And uh, interesting to note that the unsung hero is not only a woman who discovered this box of materials in a storage area at a publishing house, but also Yoko Ono had a lot to do with finding all of this materials way back into the, to the hands of the family. Is that correct? 
Absolutely. It was in March 1988 when Lena Cuddy, uh, uh, an Estonian immigrant, found the materials. She was very surprised when I called her a couple of years ago. (laughs) And she discovered the materials, was just certain that they must be of some value. She was a temp worker cleaning out a storeroom and got a lot of, frankly, resistance in her quest to save these materials. And uh, at that point, took matters into her own hands, walked uptown to the Dakota and left a note for Yoko. And in very short order, the Apple team was able to recover the materials, ensure that they were copyrighted appropriately to the Evans estate, and shipped over to Lily Evans, Mao's widow, and actually to Neil Aspinall, fittingly, who brought the materials to Lily Evans. And what's interesting about this from my perspective is just the level, frankly, of cruelty. I really feel like the press, Grosset and Dunlop, were quite negligent in holding these materials for no no reason for a decade, for 12 years, really, after Mal had, had been killed in, in Los Angeles. So it was just really ridiculous. And uh, finally, thanks to her good efforts and the legal team at Apple at Gold, Farrell and Marks, they were able to bring some closure and and at least some artifacts into the lives of Lily. And of course, probably more importantly at this point, her children, Gary and Julie, because Lily had been through a lot, quite frankly. Uh, a good amount of time had passed, but it was a, a wonderful opportunity for Gary and Julie sort of to rediscover their father. Totally true, and I, I agree. And Professor Gallant, before I begin, I should say the name of the book, Living the Beatles Legend, The Untold Story of Mal Evans by Beatles author Kenneth Womack on Day Street Publishing. Loved it from start to finish. Ken, I was so excited to read this book. I know Mr. Gallant has some questions as well. Ken, if you wouldn't mind telling our audience then, how does this manuscript, the snippets, how does this actually land with you, because overall, I, I, I can't think of a, of a better chronicler or author who to be entrusted with this material, because it is a matter of trust. And it is a very it's a very important tale. It has a lot of dark corners in it. How did it actually land with you to then sort of reconstitute for the for the rest of the world? So I have a good friend, Simon Weitzman, who was also at the fest this weekend. He's a filmmaker currently completing work on a, a really interesting documentary about Chris O'Dell, um, of course, an Apple insider. And anyway, he had met Gary Evans, I think it was 2018, and gotten to know him intermittently. And they actually met at the Mad Day Out, I think, the 50th anniversary of the Mad Day Out. Anyway, sometime in the summer of 2020, when we were all in the in lockdown, Simon said, I I spoke to Gary Evans and he would like to talk to you. And I said, sure, about what? (laughs) And he said, telling his dad's story. And I I didn't really put much stock into this. Frankly, I was just thinking, okay, well, I could do that. Um, I mean, I was at this point doing it more as a favor to Simon (laughs) than Gary. I had met him yet. We got together over Zoom about a month after that, and uh, Gary didn't beat around the bush. He said, we tell my dad's story, and Gary is just a lovely guy like his dad. He's a big teddy bear, and I knew inside of a few minutes I would do it. I figured I could get 80,000 words, but the real kicker was, I said, is it true that there's all this stuff? And Gary said, yeah, do you want to see it? And next thing, it's all here in Jersey in a series of boxes, and we're able to study it and it became pretty clear that it was a much, much larger story 
than than what I'd imagined. I figured I would just be doing my very best to try to piece together a story. But of course, as as I'm sure, David, when you're working with primary materials, what they really are, even in a case like this, where they're just voluminous, I mean, we're talking three, 400,000 words worth of material now left behind. But even in a case like this, you then are suddenly presented with hundreds and hundreds upon hundreds of names of people who appear in Mao's diaries or in his notebooks or in his manuscripts. And so each one of those folks, as near as you can you can accomplish it, have to be called and talked to and interviewed. And so the next thing you know, I have two or 300 hours worth of interviews. Fortunately, I've got a good transcription service, but... So, so it's, as it's much just as, as an endlessly growing project is what it is. As much as this is a writing project, obviously the editing project of it is is parallel and and mountainous, and and it's a it's a matter of not just standing on primary material, right? You have to write through it, link things together, put your own gloss on it, and shape it very differently from. And obviously, Chachi, we suggest to our audience to to follow up with, with all of Ken's work. It's a very different approach and a very different way of your writing compared to reading about George Martin that you've written or, or Abbey Road in and of itself. It's a very different style of writing. Did you find that to be quite a challenge beyond the technical aspects of, of verifying sources and such? Just this writing project must have been very, very unique to you, and you've written a lot on the Beatles. It's completely different than anything I've worked on in the sense that, you know, I, I at one point I literally had a four or five pages of questions, mysteries, right, that I wanted to solve. There were some that I knew I had to address because they'd been such a part of Beatles lore for so long, like what are the circumstances of how he was killed, et cetera, et cetera. There were several sort of hot button issues. Did he help with this song or that song or whatever? The rumors had it. So I knew that those would, would be necessary to follow up on. But then what would happen is the, as I would read through the materials, they would occasion new mysteries, you know? Um, and, and then of course I spoke to Gary by himself, at least for a hundred hours. We speak every week for an hour and, and have religiously since this started. And uh, every time he would bring something up, it would, it would occasion a new piece of research. So one of my earliest questions were, when, when was the last time you saw your dad? And he said, well, dad came home exactly one time after he moved to L.A. in January 1974. Gary wasn't totally sure when that was. <laughs> he thought it was to see himself and his sister, Julie. I was able to ascertain why Mal was there, which I'm sure he wanted to see his kids, but he was also there to be interviewed in London. And at the end of the day, I finally figured it out based upon the movie that Gary and Mal had watched. I was able to track that down through the radio time, radio and TV times. But it, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's completely different. <laughs> I'm used to trying to write what I hope to be kind of inspirational stories about the Beatles making this great art. That's my primary interest. That's what I teach students about. We talk about the making of an art that will last for as long as people have ears and listen to music, right? So that's usually my my gig with this band. This was different. There are gems, Chachi. You you may have you you may have found some gems in there that mm -hmm. I know when it's approached from a different a different angle. There are times in the timeline 
we know what's happening in the in the lives of the Beatles and the recording and things that are surround that. And then there are moments where I thought I learned something new. Maybe I had known it in the past, reading other chronicles, but somehow it stood out to me. I'll just give one little example. It may have escaped my mind that when Ringo was ill before the tour of Europe and then Australia, that that it was briefly considered to bring Pete back before Jimmy Nickel was settled on. I don't know why that had escaped me all the time before, but Ken's book brought that out to me. <laughs> and I don't know why I'm feeling like, am I just learning this again? So there are some little details that you know you should already know, but come through differently here, okay, because of Mal's recollections. And that that's a gift in and of itself. It seems like something minor, but it's something that opens up a different perspective. That's what's exciting about the book. There's things that we didn't know for so long. What I find interesting, too, is just a side note, Ken, after losing uh, Mal's ashes in the mail, after losing track of these materials that Gary felt comfortable shipping everything to you overseas to America. I, I would, I would guess he'd say, Ken, you're going to have to come to England because I'm not leaving this stuff out of my possession, but he sent you the originals and it got to you. He has a, a number of things are original. The diaries are not Gary has those okay. secret away. He made, Pretty high-res versions of them. I'm going to have to reshoot a lot of it for book two mm -hmm. for folks to be able to read for themselves. But I was surprised <laughs> at the level of trust. But then when it became clear to Gary that I was trying to exhaust the story as much as possible, then he began to find more and more and more materials that weren't part of Mal's archives, letters that he'd sent home, tons of material not literally, but but many hundreds of pages of material of legal papers with which I was able to trace Mal's legal story beginning in about 74 when he was trying to incorporate his own publishing company through his death and the aftermath. And of course, there's a, a, a huge legal morass that, that takes place there. And fortunately, uh, I want to assume it was probably Lily who saved that at some point, she kept a lot of her correspondence. And so that's how I was able to rebuild mm -hmm. the aftermath. And at, at a certain point, I really became consumed with just following this material around the around the country, I guess. It went from England to the United States, and then, of course, to California, and then back to New York City, where it settled in the New York Life Building for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a minute right now to tell you about another podcast that you should definitely check out. It's called Past Tens, a top 10 time machine. That's right, Chachi. Tens, as in T-E-N-S. Your host, David Yaz, and the chartmeister, Michael Milwolf, travel back in time to revisit the top 10 hits on the Billboard charts on a given day in the past. Sometimes the songs hold up nicely, other times they make you cringe, and that's when comedy and chaos ensue on Past Tense. You know, David, I think the best episode was when they went back to 1964 because the list was packed with Beatles songs and also because those bozos, Milton and Dave, respectively, had the good sense to have us on that episode to school them on all things Beatles. I agree, Chachi. That was a fantastic episode, probably their best. But also check out the episode where I filled in for Milk. It spared the audience the usual allotment of milk fart jokes. You'll have to listen to it to what other types of bodily function jokes are put in. I had no idea that you were a guest host. I feel offended and betrayed, but I have to admit, for a couple of knuckleheads, these guys put on a 
fantastic show. It's past tens to a top ten time machine. Find it anywhere you get your podcast or visit timemachinepod.com. That's timemachinepod.com. Well, for any of our listeners who are saying, well, who exactly is this man, Mal Evans? Well, he was a Liverpudlian. Uh, growing up, he was bigger than other kids in his class. They nicknamed him Hippo, so he was uncomfortable with that. But he became a worker at the post office in, in Liverpool, a lifetime job with a good pay, a wife and children. But he was also a bouncer, a doorman at the Cavern Club, befriended the Beatles, and he was there to help out when Neil Aspinall was sick. And he became one of the inner circle, the real inner circle of the Beatles in, in all of the recording sessions and so on. And he had a choice. Do I stay home with my family? Do I follow my dream? And boy, you were right. When we spoke before, you called Lily a saint, and she let her husband pursue his dream at the at the misfortune of her and her children. So especially that, her. <laughs> yes, especially her, if you can comment on that. Right. So, Mal, really, this was just a side gig for him for quite some time. But when... Uh, you know, when he gets this opportunity, when, when the Beatles seem like they're on the cusp of something, right, and they have one guy working for them, Mal gets this opportunity. But what he has to sacrifice, in addition to his family, as it turns out, I don't know that he had to sacrifice his family. But the brutal truth, and and we know this, is that if it came down to family versus Beatles, Beatles won every time. But when he when he had this opportunity, it was a really quite a quite a fight amongst the family members, a big argument. Things got very heated. And uh, just about the only person who was in Mal's corner was his wife. Everybody else was saying, why would you give up a pension, et cetera? I mean, in, in a lot of ways, this is a cautionary tale about what happens when you become obsessed with something and you get everything you want. It reminds me of a physicist back at Penn State who loved to say this one phrase over and over again. Be careful what you wish you for. You'll probably get it. <laughs> That's right. And uh, Mal got it, right, and exploited every aspect of it. Chachi, that, that moment of truth, if you will, or reckoning early on, I recall a little bit of, of, of hesitance on, on Lily's part initially, but then she came to his defense, as Ken says, because of the overwhelming negative response of everyone else in the family and in his inner circle. And Chachi, I couldn't help but think – Ken, you may have heard when Chachi makes presentations in my class, he'll start by saying about his passion for the Beatles and how he got into radio. And how he got into radio was having to give up a job that had lifetime employment and a pension that no one in their right mind would ever give up. So Chachi's GPO was the Polaroid Corporation here. When I read that, when when <laughs> Mal is writing – I knew that when I was resigning, I had to sign off to say I would never say anything that I had known that would be proprietary or secret information. Crossing, He crossed his Rubicon at that point, right? Crossing over into that world, it still was, and he talks in religious terms. That was an act of faith for him, right? They're on the cusp, but certainly no one was going to predict that that cusp would still be with us today. So that was quite jumping off both feet into the water, so to speak, right? The great swimmer, Mal Evans. And so that's a very profound early moment, that crossing over, because that sets the tone for his relationships with his family and, and every trauma that is that is that they are exposed to because of it and his absolute devotion to the Beatles at a great cost, as you're saying, right? 
But Chachi has a similar story about that. I just thought that that was just a, such a great parallel. Why would you ever give up a pension? Yes. <laughs> you've now you've now lifted up the hood on the Chachi story. So oh, um, I heard it. I'll from be careful everybody. how I use that information. But yeah, I mean, and you're right. Lily privately said to Mal, "You don't you don't need this to be a star. You don't need. Yeah. You're already great. If you think this is what you need, you're just wrong." But when when it when the chips were down, she was there for him. And really, that's what leads to his demise, frankly, is she's not going to be there for him anymore. And after, my gosh, at this point, that would have been 19, 20 years of knowing her. She's decided to pack it in, and understandably so. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's sad to think he was a victim of, of the 70s, post-Beatle years, lost and not here 60 years later to celebrate the anniversary of the Ed Sullivan show of which he must have felt so excited to be on that plane coming to America with the Beatles and the fact that he didn't enjoy being the elder statesman as Neil Aspinall did and it was just sad to lose him it was and the the joy and the experiences Mal would have had if he had not chosen to remove himself from the story the way he did or when he did, could have been tremendous, right? I mean, he easily could have been a part of the anthology, all of the wonderful tidings in this new century, the the, the enormity of the legacy. But again, it's important for folks to understand, and it helped for Gary to really, through our research, come to the, the firm conclusion that Beatles had, or in really, to be fair, even the 70s had nothing to do with with what happens to Mal in January 1976. He's always, he was an employee. Uh, you know, he wasn't as maltreated as, pun intended, maltreated. <laughs> yeah, as folks might want to say in his case, he was, it was, it was a self-inflicted wound, right? And mental illness, of which Mal clearly suffered, can be a festering wound. I imagine that Mal's suicidal plans probably started around the time he was busted by Cynthia Lennon and Julian, who had been visiting California and had said to Lily they were stopping over to stay at their place outside of London for a while. And it was Julian who said, hey, we met your cousin. Oh, and yes. he said, I don't have a cousin in L.A. And, you know, um, you know, shortly thereafter, she called it on Mal, and it just threw him into a funk. And his compartments had finally collided his carefully curated and separate and distinct worlds had had come into dangerous contact with one another. And that final straw was when she said, I'm going to see a lawyer. Mm. She would never have to see that lawyer because Mal wouldn't be around by then. And I'll ask one more question, and Mr. Galant, you may as well, before we wrap up. You, As I said at the start of our podcast, you were at Beetlefest uh, this past week, and Mal had a taste of that, and he realized how important he was in people's lives when he went to a Beatle Fest and appeared there meeting fans. And that adoration would have went on for years and years, and he would have saw the glory of Neil Aspinall running Apple, and Apple's still around today. And here you are at Beatle Fest 60 years later, and in seeing all of that excitement through your book about the life of Mal Evans. Yeah, it and it was it was very interesting as we were leaving Sunday. Julie, uh, Mal's daughter, said, "I'm going to go to all of these." Just <laughs> <laughs> exactly the reaction Mal had in 1975. He really felt like he'd found a home, 
and uh, had even had a discussion with the founder, Mark Lapidos, about a week before he died about coming back. You know, but for all of the good things that were happening, Neil had just been through town in December 1975 to talk about we're getting the band back together, i.e. Apple, mm-hmm. and ostensibly had some good news about back payment that they might have received on or around January or February of 1975 when formally Apple was dissolved and the partnership was dissolved. They stopped getting paid. Um, mm-hmm. So that was about to be remedied. He had wonderful conversations with uh, Mr. McCartney about joining the Wings Over the World Tour. And of course, he had his book coming out. It was done. It had two cover designs that were being considered. They were looking at a June release. So there was a lot of wonderful tidings in Mal's life. But again, festering up there was, I'm sure, guilt and remorse, too, over just how god-awfully bad he treated his family. He was, if anything, really surprised me the most about this. It was that Mal was not this kind of oafish person at all. He was a deeply thinking person. I mean, you have to be to be someone who records as many notes as he does. Again, three or 400,000 words is is not done at the hands of a, of a doofus, right? <laughs> that's correct. I, I believe that's the academic term, right, David? <laughs> it is. Yes, it, it, it absolutely is. I think we can put that on our early alert warnings that we send to our academic support. That student is, is dangerously entering into doofus territory. Doofus territory. <laughs> yeah. Early warning. Yeah. yeah. Early warning. So I guess what's what's I maybe or maybe not contradictory is that in a lot of his quandaries or some of his writing, he he betrays a sense of deep. He's a deeply spiritual person at times, and 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 contemplating about God in the universe and and his role in it. And I mean, one wonders if not if that could have been some type of of remedy, if you will, or approach or some type of of counseling in some ways. I mean, it wasn't talked about as widely, but people who existed in certain circles would have had access to therapy, if you will, right? I mean, he knew of his former friend and one of the members of the band was Lennon was was a, a quite an advocate and devotee of that in the 70s. So, I mean, one wonders if any of that sort of occurred or was available Sure. I mean, we have to remind ourselves that it's essentially, it's mid-1970s. It's a completely different world in terms of how we think about mental health care, early health care. It's different in terms of, I, I think the law enforcement who had to deal with this issue on January 4th, 1976, did what they knew how to do. According to their policy, there was a shooting review, et cetera. I have all of those documents. But I think we have to remind ourselves that it was nearly 50 years ago. It's, you know, it's it's another world, another era in right. terms of most of these issues. It was John Lennon who spoke to him two, three days earlier and said, I, I know how this goes. There are a couple of ways because Mal was fretting over the fact that Lily's appointment was imminent. And, and John said, I know how it goes. You can react to this one of two ways. You can be some macho guy and react badly, or you can see your way through and, and, and try to rebuild your relationships. And uh, he was worried that Mal was going to, was going to collapse. And of course, sure enough, he does. Yeah. Yeah. And, and John, upon hearing the news, he cried. And then Yoko years later saves the day and saves all these materials was talking to Ken Womack, 
the author of a fantastic new book. Recommend everyone read it. Living the Beatles Legend, the Untold Story of Mal Evans, Day Street Publishing, and it's available now. Fantastic book. Looking forward to part two, Ken. And thank you for all of your great work because this book just like made made me so happy to read. So I really appreciate your work. Oh, well, thanks, fellas. And always just always wonderful to catch up with you and good to talk to you too, David. We were on the radio together last week and here we are <laughs> That's again. Right. Here we are again. Yeah, Chachi, a, a twist of fate when, when I got the, uh, the wide net that was cast by, I guess, the producer of the show and, um, I, I responded within, within six minutes and Professor Womack responded within four and a half minutes. <laughs> and so I, I had the honor though of being a, a special calling guest. And if you listen to my four minute segment, I don't take a breath and don't allow any other commentary. And, but that was my, that was my job just to get it all out there. But you will hear Ken chuckle a few times in the background. So I figured I I was, that was my, that was my applause. But completely good naturally. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, you're not going to get too many Beatle discussions and have Kenneth Burke thrown in at the end. So there you have it. And, Cherry I, on top. and I, will t- I will tell you, gentlemen, <laughs> it was so exciting to see Ken on my favorite cable news show. I watch Morning Joe every day. Love that program. And of course, Ken was a guest on the Morning Joe show, viewed by millions of people, that show. So good for you, Ken. It was a lot of fun experience, and I also learned what we all know, that if you leave for New York City at 5 a.m., your car can go from your house here on the Jersey Shore and in front of the of 30 Rock in just 55 minutes. All things are possible without traffic. Ah, miracles. That's fantastic. <laughs> of course, 5 a.m. is a little early, but good for you, Ken. It was really great to see you. And I'm like saying to my wife, Steph, Steph, Ken's on this, the great book. And she's like, oh, so cool. And we watched and you were great. So Ken Womack, thank you. Congrats on Living the Beatles Legend, the Untold Story of Mal Evans, available wherever fine books are sold. And this one is a fine book. And I told Ken before, despite it being early in the year, I think it's the best book of the year. So congratulations, Ken Womack. We'll talk soon. Thank you very much, Ken Womack. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Talk soon. Now, Mr. Gallant. Wow. I love talking to Ken. I I love the book and uh, it was good to have him on the program. Absolutely. And continually, Chachi, this is what I get to explain to people that the work that Professor Womack and, and others do that our our passions for the Beatles and for are in this realm. These are these are serious pursuits, and I know that later on in their college careers, because I I have my students at their very early phase, that they learn things about critical listening and critical writing, and and to know that the word reading can encounter all sorts of texts because of the way we approach the Beatles. That it's a jumping off point for them to. Be, to be great students and thinkers beyond. And Ken's work just sort of lets everybody know that this is this is serious business, but also seriously fun. That's right. <laughs> well, thank you for tuning in to Get Back to the Beatles. We love doing these podcasts for you. Please like it, share it with your friends. And remember the Boston Podcast Network out of Westwood, Massachusetts. It's a great place to fulfill your dream to have your own podcast. Reach out to our spiritual advisor and dear leader, Mr. David Yaz, who is, and I say that only in a good way, David, the proprietor, the entrepreneur, the visionary, the man behind the Boston Podcast Network. Lots of different episodes, different subject matter. Not quite, and, not quite a guru. 
Chachi. No, no, no. I was absolutely going to say Chachi. He is our guru. <laughs> he is our Maharishi. He yes, is. He is. He is. <laughs> Although I don't know if he can sit cross leg. We're not as young as we used no, to no, be. At no, least not me. No. <laughs> there's a there's a good guru. There's a good guru. Well, Mr. Galant, a pleasure to see you. And uh, we'll be back very soon with a brand new episode. In the meantime, there's lots of back episodes you can listen to. Hope you enjoy them all. We'll see you next time. On Get Back to the Beatles with me, Chachi LaPrette, and Beatles professor, David Gallant, Suffolk University in Boston. Take care. Bye-bye. Make sure to check for the latest episode of Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette at pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network.